Welcome to Conversations with Commerce Trust Company. We have for this segment, Scott Colbert, our Chief Economist at Commerce Trust Company. Scott, welcome. Hi, how are you? Just fine, thank you. We're uh, we're ready to go. And, and the, the first question I think we have from a lot of our clients is uh, the reopening of the economy is underway and it's in various stages across the country. You've described this recovery as, as V-shaped. What will the bounce back look like in terms of growth? Well, I've certainly said that the um, recovery off the bottom is going to be V-shaped because the drop was so severe. We're looking at a, an economy that's probably collapsed in the neighborhood of, um, oh, almost 40% peak to trough at its very bottom and is now quickly coming back. It'll be the uh, worst quarter of growth we've ever had. Uh, so off the bottom, we are certainly seeing a V from the highs in unemployment and the lows in retail sales. And that's already started to show up with retail sales jumping the most they've ever jumped in a month. They were up 17% in May from April. Of course, they were down 24% in April from March. So this is the V that I'm talking about. So it's initial V, but then once we get the bounce, I'm, I'm worried about the kind of the lingering and ongoing effects of probably what a, an economy that's been downsized to adjust the coronavirus, higher unemployment levels, uh, stimulus that begins to want to wear out, what that recovery will look at. And I think that'll be a bouncier, tougher, longer, slower recovery after that initial V off the bottom that we are still right in the middle of as we speak today. Scott, you've said we've had a, um, a head start on the recovery compared to the Great Recession of 2008. How long will it take for us to get back to where we were in February? Yeah, by, um, uh, by head start, what I really mean is it took us 18 months to get through our last recession. Um, and we lost 4% of GDP. So uh, the last recession was the longest recession we've ever had since the Great Depression, uh, lasting from January 1, 2008 to June uh, 30th, 2009. And it was the most severe recession. It was down, we lost 4% of GDP. So if you can think of a 100-story building, big building like uh, the Empire State Building or something, we lopped four stories off and then we had to begin to re rebuild it. That rebuilding took a total of three years from start to finish, from the beginning of the recession to the end of the recession to adding those four floors back on during the Great Recession, that took three years. So your question really is, is why could this one be rebuilt any faster since it's a deeper contraction? And the answer to that is because we're getting through the recession so much quicker. This is no 18-month recession. Well, the deepest recession will be the shortest recession. Technically, it's possible the recession ended right now. And so it began in February, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research. It clearly had a recession in March, probably had a recession, of course, in April. But we're beginning to recover in May. And so let's call the dating June, February to June. That is a five-month recession. That'd be the shortest recession we've ever had. And by head start, since it didn't take 18 months to complete the recession, this only took five. It's quite possible that we get the economy back to where it was in February or January of this year, sooner than three years. But the Federal Reserve thinks it'll take at least two years. At the outset, it'll take three. I'll call it maybe two and a half years. We need, we're probably going to, it's going to take two and a half years, two and a quarter, two and a half years to get the economy back dollar for dollar just where it was before we started taking those floors off to find the bottom before we begin to rebuild that 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 hundred story building that we started with. 
Scott, a, a daunting task in, in part of this recovery is the fact that 30 million Americans are either unemployed or have been temporarily uh, furloughed uh, along the way here during the pandemic. What are the prospects for bringing people back to work quickly? Well, that's that's the key driver. If you've asked if you asked anyone for one statistic to correlate any problems with the economy, uh, say for instance, think uh, delinquent loans on a car or a credit card or a home loan um, or uh, business sales, retail sales, it's unemployment. Um, and probably we had 152 to 153 million jobs before the recession started. We've certainly lost at least 20 million and certainly part-time worked another 10-ish million as you suggested. So think about it, we've taken 30 million people and dislocated them. And how long will it take to put them back? I think the initial bounce back will be rather strong because of course, you know, we came to a dead stop in essentially 20% of GDP. What was that 20%? That was hotels, airlines, cruises, car rentals, um, retail sales at a mall, uh, uh, restaurants and bars. And by the time you add all that up, that's about 20% of GDP. It also happens to be exactly 20% of employment. And, you know, we are recovering quickly in that space, but of course, a full recovery is a long ways off. So you can see how we could quickly put half that 20 million back to work, say 10 million. But after that, then it becomes, I think, the typical slow slog as businesses try and right size themselves for whatever the future you know brings to each of these businesses and so the initial bounce in employment will be strong too but then we're likely to get down to an unemployment rate say of 10 percent instead of 15 percent and then we have to make that slow steady economic recovery it took us 10 years in the last recovery to create 20 plus million jobs we just lost 20 million jobs does that mean it's going to take us 10 years again to put all those people back to work? I sure hope not, but it's certainly possible. Scott, now the government has had some some stimulus. It's been impactful along the way, both fiscal and monetary. Is more needed? Oh, that's a that's a great question, and thank you for bringing it up. We would be in so much worse shape if it hadn't been for essentially the cannons being brought to bear on this um uh, you know, uh, uh, deep and severe recession that we're currently in. And the cannons are coming from two directions. Uh, I'll mix up my, my military metaphors here and I'll call it a pincer movement now that we've got, we've got monetary policy on one side, which is the Federal Reserve lowering rates to zero, pulling out all the old playbook during the last great recession, um, uh, having had authority from Congress to buy up risky assets, quantitatively easing they've doubled almost the size of their balance sheet in several months compared to taking years to add to their balance sheet in the last great recession and then you've got the fiscal stimulus direct aid from the government going directly to businesses via the ppp um, directly to families versus the checks cut to uh uh you know uh individuals and dependents um uh, plus the litany of other uh fiscal initiatives totaling you know almost two and a half trillion dollars the combination of that is really helping us build a bridge to the other side of this chasm that is that v-shaped um, recession that we're in the v on the other side of course isn't going to get back all the way so it's a bridge that's going to 
be moving downhill. We just hope that it's going to be long enough to get us you know, to the other side. Some people would suggest we're papering over the problem by literally creating paper, by literally you know, quantitatively easing, raising the money supply, sending checks to people, and borrowing our way forward. That part is all true, but don't discount the substantiality of it relative to any other prior recession. It's, it's two to three times more stimulus in two to three times less time. It's very impactful and it's, it's helped, you know, it's, it's helped eliminate what was, you know, could have been a, 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 just an absolute disaster. Now, as you've suggested, stimulus does have a flip side, and, and one of those yeah. might be uh, uh, inflation, but we've seen relatively little jump in prices. Is that going to play out that way? Well, I'm, 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 inflation is a, is a rich person's problem, uh, much like, I suppose, having too big a stock portfolio. Um, during the last recovery, of course, despite the stimulus, the, despite the fact that it was almost 11 years in making, despite the fact that we had, had near record low unemployment, which generally results in rising wages and inflation, we never, the Fed never got its inflation back to its inflation target, which they targeted basically 2% uh, uh, based upon the uh, personal consumption expenditure indicator, which is a mouthful, but you can think CPI. So let's, let's just pretend that it's the CPI that they're targeting. Um, the CPI in April fell eight tenths of a percent meaning that, you know, inflation fell nearly 1% or the cost of goods and services fell nearly 1%. It fell another tenth of a percent in May, so call it 1% in two months. That's the deepest fall in prices this country has ever witnessed. Now, the Fed does have that target. They'd like to get inflation spooled up. They're trying to do it, of course, by printing a lot of money. But it takes a while for that money essentially to catch fire because right now it's largely lying in deposits, in banks, in checking accounts, it's not being spent because, of course, people are a little worried that they're not going to have much money in the future, especially if they've lost their job. So it's been very slow um, in terms of being you know, pushed back out to society. The Fed does have the ability to control inflation by raising rates quickly if, in fact, inflation catches fire. But in the longest of runs, inflation has been coming down our whole lifetime. Um, people ask me why. So I'm going to ask myself, why is inflation so dormant? And the answer to that, probably when you take a step back, is primarily demographic. As an age, as a society ages, we tend, you know, not to spend as much on consumption, and we start to save more. And uh, you buy less suits and fancier, less fancy cars, and you, you know, you look towards retirement. And and we've seen that in Japan in spades, right? No inflation in Japan for decades now. Um, we've seen it over in Europe, and it's, you know, it's coming our direction here. Secondly. It's primarily technology, the use of technology to lower costs, to be competitive. I call this the Walmartization or the Ammonization of the world, the ability to quickly shop. And then using and lever that technology to get access to unlimited amounts of overseas labor that's willing to work for cheaper prices than, say, the developed markets. And, uh, you know, in, in, we can wheel the need for software development to India to find engineers that will work for $6,000 a year instead of $100,000 a year. And, and that's, that's largely technology affording us that. And then we've got one last kind of miracle on water, and that's the supercargo container ship, which is also technologically advanced, 
all those little freight containers that we're able to get around the world, which turns out for very little energy cost too, because technology in the energy space developed fracking, which gave us at the margin a little more oil and gas than we really even needed and drove the prices, of course, down even in the energy space. So inflation is a, uh, is a rich person's problem, one we're not likely to confront anytime soon, despite the fact that they have ginned up a lot of stimulus and borrowed our way forward. Scott, um, it, it's probably uh, difficult to do the what ifs for a pandemic. We've never reopened an economy before, but let's wrap up with this. Does the government have any more policy bullets left if there's a second wave of infections or, or things uh, uh, deteriorate? Yeah, well, first off, there does seem to be at least an ongoing continuation of the first wave, whether you really want to call it a second wave. We certainly had a pause in coronavirus cases globally here, too. And there has been a recent, in the last two weeks, in the last two weeks, global coronavirus cases are up 29%. So they've grown from 7 million to 9 million. Our cases here in this country in the last two weeks are up 19%. They've gone from 1.9 million to 2.3 million. And so there does seem to be, you know, we're going to have this virus as a perpetual problem until we have much better therapeutics and or a vaccine. So given that, is there the potential for another round of stimulus? Well, because we can borrow money in this country at 70 basis points and the world will support that. There is always the ability, at least for a while here, to continue to borrow money. So I don't think that's the problem. And I do think that there will be a second round of stimulus targeted in two areas. One area that really does need it are the states and local governments that have been hit the hardest. Think sales taxes from retail sales that were down, you know, more than 25 percent. Um, uh, consumption taxes, energy, you know, uh, uh, you name it, uh, the taxes are down. So state and local governments have been picking up the tab for the virus, and yet their revenues have plummeted. So I think you'll see some help there. And then secondly, I hope, gosh, that we can have an infrastructure bill of some type. Um, I'm looking out a window, and there's a huge building being built, and it's very productive use of resources. They've got concrete trucks and dump trucks and 50 people running around the site, but it's an orchestrated, you know, use of technology uh, to bring this building up. Um, I'd like to see an infrastructure build, particularly if we can borrow the money at what amounts to basically sub-inflationary rates, because infrastructure creates the productivity to drive future growth. And gosh, everybody knows that our, our roads and our bridges and our tunnels are crumbling the water. Uh, we've, we've, we've really stretched the use of those resources, uh, you know, stretched and stretched and stretched. This would be an ideal time to put money back into the infrastructure, which becomes very productive for the country in the longest of runs. With the elections coming, who knows if they can get it done? I'm actually optimistic and hopeful that because both Democrats and Republicans like the idea of uh, infrastructure in some way or another, something is likely to happen. Scott, thank you. Thanks for walking us through and walking our clients through these uh, this summary. That was Conversations with Commerce Trust Company, Chief Economist Scott Colbert. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Commerce Trust Company is a division of Commerce Bank. Important material disclosures regarding the content of this call follow. Information provided is effective as of today, June the 24th, 2020. 
and is presented for the purpose of general education, information, or illustration only, are not a recommendation on any future investment or market behavior, and is not to be considered the opinion of Commerce Trust Company or Commerce Bank. The risk of loss from investing in securities and other investments can be substantial. You should consider whether investments entered into directly by you or on a discretionary managed basis through Commerce Trust Company or elsewhere are appropriate for you in light of your investment objectives, financial circumstances, tax status, your tolerance to risk, and your investment experience. In considering whether to trade or invest, you should inform yourself and be aware of the risks. Generally, non-depository investments offered in connection with Commerce Bank and its affiliates are not guaranteed, are not FDIC insured, and as noted earlier, may lose value. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and the opinions and other information in the commentary provided, as of this date, are subject to change. The information provided is presented for the purpose of general education. Information or illustration only is not a recommendation on any future investment or market behavior, and is not to be considered the opinion of Commerce Trust Company or Commerce Bank. Providing this information, which may be of value to you or others, shall not detract from an investor's responsibilities to take all such steps and make all such inquiries as may be necessary to ensure full understanding and familiarity with any potential future investment. Neither Commerce nor any of its officers, employees, or agents have made any recommendation or given any advice as to the terms and profitability of any investment or market activity which may be referenced here. Accordingly, you understand that you are and shall be at all times be fully responsible for any investment transaction you choose to enter into and that you shall not have relied only on any of the preceding or following information from Commerce as a basis for an, an investment decision. Please also note that Commerce does not offer tax, legal, or specific estate planning advice. And while we may provide information or express general opinions from time to time, such information or opinions are not offered as professional tax or legal advice. If you are in doubt about the risks involved in trading or investment arrangements or have not understood any aspect of this risk disclosure statement, you should seek independent professional advice. Markets, economic forecast, and specific investments can change from time to time based on a variety of individual, interrelated, or complex factors. This disclosure statement cannot present all the risk and other significant aspects of investments, economies, or markets in which you may elect to transact from time to time. You should therefore carefully study investment arrangements in advance of making decisions about investing.